This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK7. And by TrekFan. It's not just a fan club, it's an adventure. You'll explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. Don't miss out. Help us move toward that Star Trek future by visiting trekfan.org. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm slash donate to get our new Alien Badges, featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again this week, from Down Under in Australia, is my co-host, Kate Walsh. Hey, Kate, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm not bad, thanks, Chris. It's good to be back. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. You know, this is unusual for me. You know, for, it's nighttime for both of us. It's it's about 11.15 p.m. here for me. It's 11.45 there for you. Living in your little strange half-hour offset time zone land, and uh, <laughs> it's weird because you know I, I'm used to hosting with people in the states where it's nighttime in one place and daytime in the other, but this is unusual. We just um, we're just really synced up, aren't we? We really you know, are. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> and I always find it strange thinking of um, I mean Australia's quite a large geographic area, um, and. Between Adelaide, where I am, and Perth, for example, it's two and a half hours difference for our time zones. And yet here you are um, up in Japan and it's, it's only half an hour. Uh, it makes the world seem like a much smaller place. Or a more bizarre place, one or the other. <laughs> Quite possibly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not too sure if um, Australian culture is uh, how similar it is to Japanese culture, um, but... Uh, we're certainly close in our time zones, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, probably not very similar. We don't, we don't all, as we talked about with Matt Miller before, we don't all keep kangaroos in our yards to ride to work here <laughs> like you do there in Australia. You do wear thongs, though, don't you? And by thongs, <laughs> I mean like what the Americans call, I don't know, flip-flops, is it, or something along those lines? <laughs> Just to clarify that issue. <laughs> no. Yeah, I was wondering, what do you mean thongs? You think we all wear thongs to work here? Uh, flip-flops. No, no, no. That's You're thinking of traditional, you know, wooden sandals, but no, people don't yeah. wear those around everywhere every day. Well, that's a shame. <laughs> all right. Well, let's jump into the show. We We had a really fun show last week talking to Brandon. We've got a lot of great feedback from that. And then the week before that, of course, we talked to Dave Rossi as well. 
This week, we're going to have the first show of just the two of us here chatting about different elements of enterprise. And we're going to kick things off with Scott Bakula talking about Captain Archer. And we're going to specifically, of course, talk about Archer's hairstyle and how it changed over the course of the series. You know, just like on... No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Although it was a thing, apparently. Archer's hairstyle was a thing. It was. You know, he had the side part in season one. By season three, he had more of the kind of the shorter straight crop, which is apparently easier for his hair to dry and such. Oh, I see. Well, I mean, I think um, of uh, Voyager and Janeway's hair was quite a big thing as well. Um, I think uh, Charlene, who is also on Trek FM, even did a feature on it at one point. Indeed, she did. And unfortunately, Archer never got the bun of steel. He just had the part of steel there at the uh, (laughs) the the beginning in Broken Bow. But seriously, we're going to talk about Archer a little bit, and we get a few points here, and I think a good place to start, Kate, would just be with him being the first captain. Of course, he's not necessarily the first captain in Starfleet, just in terms of rank, you know, but in terms of being at the head of a crew on a warp-capable ship, going out there to explore the depths of space on behalf of humanity— He's the first captain. I wanted to ask you, Kate, because I know you came at Star Trek a little bit differently than I did because I grew up with TOS and I just watched every series as it came along. Was Archer the fifth captain for you or did you encounter Archer before you encountered uh, any of the other captains? Um, Well, he was actually the fourth. I hadn't seen Kirk which um, you know may seem strange to many people. A lot of people, you know, Kirk is their reference point. But I certainly had seen Picard, Janeway, and Cisco. Not a massive fan of Cisco, but uh... yes, I know. Yeah. Now with Kirk, <laughs> I, I know you had not seen the original series mm. uh, before you saw Enterprise. Had you seen any of the films? Were you familiar with Kirk at all? No, I hadn't seen any original series whatsoever. I mean, Archer was quite clearly a very different captain to the other ones I'd seen, Um, much less polished. Right. You know, uh, that that kind of 24th century feel that we had to all the other series in it. The fact that that was so different in Enterprise, um, I think his captaincy was also quite different. Right. Well, that's why I ask, because for many of us, Kirk was kind of that, cowboy who went out there and explored Mm. space and TOS. And then when we got Picard, Cisco, Janeway, the Federation and Starfleet was so well established then. And and the type of captain that you had then was quite different than Kirk was in TOS. Whereas Archer was a bit more of a return to Kirk. So how did Archer feel to you, you know, being familiar with Janeway and Picard, sp- particularly those two captains? Because Cisco's a little bit different than they are. Mm. How how did you receive Archer when you saw his command style for the first time? Uh, well, I think back to the pilot and, you know, we, we see those scenes with the Vulcans and he's reacting quite an emotional way to the perception that they're holding humanity back. And that was... Um, one of the scenes that that had the most impact for me in terms of my assessment of Archer, that I remember thinking that he didn't look like the kind of man that you would choose 
to captain a starship. You know, he just didn't have that polish, that control that that I would have expected from a captain. And I, I probably wasn't until you know, much later in the series that, that I felt that that really changed and I could look at him as someone that, that I felt was um, worthy of, of that that job. But that's, you know, in saying that, that's because I was comparing him to the likes of Picard who were, uh, you know, perhaps more so than Janeway. Picard was, you know, the perfect diplomat. He was reserved and very controlled. He um, he had his he had it all together. Whereas, you know, Archer was much more volatile, which I thought was a strange trait for someone that you would choose for a role like that. Right, right. Of course, we didn't get to see enough of the other candidates you know like ag robinson for mm. example we see them in first flight together but we we don't really get to see enough of the alternatives to know if archer were was different from uh, his fellow officers or not so well what we learn in first flight is actually quite interesting because if you look at ag and um you know he was volatile in a completely different way and mm-hmm. and if anything, when I watch First Flight, I actually think Archer looks much more measured, much more controlled than he did earlier on in the show, uh, which is strange. But, uh, yeah, well, he, he looks like the balanced guy <laughs> compared yeah. with AG. He's just going to go off and do whatever. You know, in First Flight, Archer's the company man. Yeah, I think some of that is Bakula being accustomed to the role of Archer by the time that they mm. shot First Flight. And so uh, it's the character settled in a little bit more. Well, yeah. when, we, when we think of someone like Picard or Janeway or even Cisco, you know, how they reach their positions as captains, they've gone through the academy. They've, uh, you know, served on different starships, starting out as a cadet and ensign, working their way up to the rank of captain where Archer is different, you know, he was he was raised in this family. You know, his father Henry was a renowned warp scientist who helped develop the warp five engine, and he came up through the the system at a time before Starfleet was even chartered. So Archer is a bit more of the the military type, maybe like the Air Force type that we think of now in the world today, as opposed to the Starfleet type, like Picard or Janeway. So by the time he is in the NX program in the 2140s, the events we see in First Flight, and then in 2150, when he actually gets named Captain, he's reached the rank of Captain without anyone being out there on these starships serving, you know, the way Picard Mm. and Janeway and, and the officers were familiar with from the 24th century series are. So it seems like really it's a unique way to, to reach the captain's chair and therefore leads to a different kind of captain. Yeah, I think that's true. But the other thing I, I, I think, and you mentioned about, um, you know, his father designing the engine and getting involved in, in all of this, this career path for Arch was always a very emotional thing. And you know, I think that's reflected very well in that in that pilot and in other episodes early on in the first season that it wasn't 
just like this is the career I want to pursue or, you know, this is, um, it, it was, he was doing it for very personal reasons. And so that passion, you know, came out in his character quite a bit. And, and I think that, you know, what I've, I've said is, is, is his volatility. I think that that's a, a reason behind that because he has invested so much personally in what he's doing. Yeah, definitely. And I, I found it interesting too, I was just doing some math and the ages at which Archer became captain and Kirk became captain and thinking about the characters and how they approach the command chair. Mm. If you look at the beginning of Enterprise or let's say you take Kirk in Where No Man Has Gone Before being the first uh it's actually the second pilot of a TOS, but the first shot episode that was ever aired. Uh, or The Man Trap, which is the first episode that actually um, came on television. And you see how he acts as a commander there versus how Archer is in Broken Bow or in mm. Strange New World or in Fight or Flight, you know, here at the beginning of the series. And Archer became captain when he was 38 years old, whereas Kirk became captain when he was 32 years old. But as I was talking about earlier, the the path that these men would follow to the captain's chair, you kind of felt like Kirk had it a little bit more under control, right? Even at mm. that younger age, he um, Kirk uh, certainly comes across as, uh, and we we see it in the movies as well. Someone that was uh, is in the new movies, someone who was, you know, from a very young age, you know, always going to be that perfect kind of candidate for us to be a starship captain um yeah whereas archer just oh <laughs> not in agreement there well in different ways i mean well you're bringing the jj see the jj kirk is is very different from the kirk mm. of the prime timeline tos I, I i think i could agree with you that they they both are good candidates for the captaincy mm. but kind of in different ways you know the kirk of the prime timeline is actually a bookworm the academy he wasn't this kind of out of control sleep around with all the mm. women he can find get in bar fights kind of character like the jj kirk is that they, they have quite different childhoods well when we talk about though who you know how how they are as candidates for the captaincy as you've already mentioned it's also about looking at well what was required and expected of that captain and what did being a captain mean and I think it meant quite different things in each of those series. Yes. They really didn't know what they were getting into at, at the start of Enterprise or what skills were going to be required of a captain. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why we see Archer behaving the way that he does, which mm. uh, I want to talk about a little bit more in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to ask you about the casting of Archer and Scott Bakula. Mm. Now, personally, I, I I wasn't like a gung-ho quantum. I've seen all of Quantum Leap. I wasn't like a super Quantum Leap fan. What do you call them? Are they Quantum Leapers? I don't know. <laughs> but when I was in university, though, I had a roommate from Russia, Sasha. And Sasha was, he was the biggest Quantum Leap fan. Quantum Leap and MacGyver. These two shows were just on constantly in our living room and so I, I knew Scott Bakula really well from Quantum Leap because of that because of, of watching it with Sasha all the time so 
when they started developing Enterprise and it rolled around and I heard that they really wanted Scott Bakula for this role. And um, I was going to dig out my old magazines from when they were developing the series. I seem to remember that pretty much Scott Bakula is who they wanted. Mm. They weren't sure if they were going to get him at first, but the role of Archer is essentially written for Scott Bakula. Mm -hmm. And luckily, you know, he read the script, he liked it, he signed on. What do you think about Bakula? Do you think he was the right choice? And I know it's kind of hard to answer this after you've watched the series several times over and over, but can you imagine anyone else in the role? Do you do you feel like there's anything, you know, lacking in the performance? It, it's hard to, yeah, to disassociate Scott Bakula from Archer, given that he is the one that has created the character that we know. However, if I think about the episodes that, that feature him quite strongly and, and develop his character, I certainly think he does a, a very good job at, at portraying, you know, that internal conflict that he has, his struggle with uh, morality, with the expectations of himself as the first Warp 5 captain. I am... Um, I don't look at, and sometimes I, I'll watch films, for example, and I'll, I'll, there'll be an actor in it, and and I know that they're not, they don't feel quite right for the role for me because I'm drawn out of that character and what I'm watching, and I just start seeing the actor, and I I've never really felt that with Scott Bakula. I've I think that for what I would have expected of of the character of Archer, and that being you know a man that was quite unsure of himself in this new role and, you know, struggling to find his way and, and even, you know, the inconsistencies of that character and as, you know, he, he feels his way through these new situations, I think he portrays that quite convincingly. And so to me that is the measure of whether he was right for the role or not. I can't imagine anyone else doing that as well as he could have. You know, I'm I'm a fan of him in that role, to, to be sure. Well, you know, who was really unsure of themselves was that the original casting for Captain Archer, when Genevieve Bouillaud stormed off the set, when she just felt that Archer wasn't the right role for her, and they went and they found Scott Bakula, I think it was a great move <laughs> for the show. Yes, it sounds like it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. And I think, I think that Scott Bakula being, he's like the, an ordinary guy. And and really, he is for an actor. You know, he's everyone talks about how he's just the nicest guy. In every interview I've ever seen with him, anywhere, he just seems so relaxed and like he really is the nicest guy to sit down and talk to. And I think that everyday guy mm. feel that he has is exactly what was needed for the role of Captain Archer. Because yep. as we've talked about already, they didn't know what they were getting into. This is the first warp five ship, and they're they're going out there, and. You'd expect, even though he's a captain, you'd still expect him to be more ordinary, more like us, mm. more naive about what's gonna, what he's gonna find out there. And and I think Bakula is really uh, well suited for that role. And uh, you know, as we've heard, you know, in in the interview from last week's show, Enterprise was was designed to be a Star Trek that that people could relate to 
that was mm-hmm. closer to who we are now. And, and I, yeah, I think you're spot on with that, that they, they needed an every man. And we think of uh, Patrick Stewart and, uh, you know, Patrick Stewart's portrayal of Picard gives us something to aspire to, mm-hmm. which is what that 24th century Star Trek was about, whereas Enterprise is much more relatable as, you know, not not quite, not an unreasonable step from where we are now and, and shows us, you know, how we could how we could possibly get to that place in the not yeah. so distant future. I like that uh, we we built a ship, the NX01, that actually looks like something we would build. And then we have people running around that ship wearing baseball caps and tennis shoes and button-up flannel shirts. And yeah. Yeah, it, it feels much, It's we can relate to it. Well, this leads us to, we have already started talking about it a little bit here. The fact that when Enterprise first premiered, a lot of fans, and I remember reading in the media as well, people were not really happy with Archer. You know, they they felt like he wasn't uh, up to snuff as a Starfleet captain. He wasn't really what they uh, expected him to be. And as you said at the beginning, you kind of felt that way too, and you were comparing him to Picard. You were comparing him to Janeway. And so, like, we had this idea of what a Starfleet captain should be. And I think it was hard for people to roll back from that and say, Mm. okay, but this isn't the 24th century anymore. This isn't even the 23rd century. We've never even been out, you know, we've never been to Kronos before. We've never been very far away from Earth, really. And so we don't know what's out there. People had kind of trouble, I think, shifting gears mentally and Mm. remembering that, that the character was going to be quite different. And what I did too is I went back and right after the show premiered in 2001, I used to write a column called Science Fiction and Society. And it's kind of funny that that column is actually the genesis of Trek of Film in a way, because what I do with Trek of Film is what I used to do then, except it was just me writing one little blog. But I wrote a piece where... I uh, gave an overview, first impressions, and rating for all the characters on Enterprise after the first three episodes. And I pulled it out so I could tell you what I wrote and uh, and see what you think about it. That'd be great. So at the time, I asked, how is Bakula doing so far? I've heard some criticism of him in the media from those who think that Captain Archer is dull, lacks leadership presence and confidence, and isn't up to the standards of previous Starfleet captains. And I said, the fact of the matter is, Bakula is playing this character just as he should. It's true that Archer seems a bit uneasy, lacking in confidence, but he's the first human captain to see these strange new worlds. He doesn't come from a spacefaring culture like Kirk, Picard, Sisko, and Janeway. You can't expect him to walk coolly under the bridge during a crisis and quote Melville. And that was basically my summary of it. I said his sense of wonder and uneasiness shows brightly during Enterprise's first encounter with an alien vessel. And this I love was when Archer contacts the ship and he says, my name is Jonathan Archer. I'm captain of the Starship Enterprise. 
we're on a mission of peaceful exploration. Oh, we come from the planet Earth. We're sending you a pulsar grid that should help you locate our star <laughs> system. And I thought that was great. I mean, that was the naivety that you would expect us to have going out there because we're thinking, you know, because right now, I think about today when we talk about SETI, when we talk about uh, what if we received a radio signal from another civilization and what if they found out we were here and there are those who are always worried that they'll come and conquer us and scientists say, well, no, you know, anyone, anyone else out there, they've got to be far, far advanced of us. So they must all be peaceful. And, and Archer's kind of like that right here. He just assumes the best in everyone, right? He's like, yeah. here, just wait a minute. We're going to show you exactly where our planet is. <laughs> and that, that didn't go so well for him, did it? <laughs> no, the other thing, um, I love that that particular moment in the episode um, because it, it's really the first time he's um, introduced himself and, and his ship to another species in space and um, and it, it, something as simple as an introduction. He never had to think about how that might go and what the important bits of information might be. Uh, and he just kind of stumbles through that. Um, and yeah. I think that it's just one of those really subtle touches that that encapsulates what Enterprise is. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Uh, I, I said at the time that Archer is like a wide-eyed child, and he was. But it didn't bother me because I think that's how that's how we would be if we were out there for the first time, even if we were captain in a rank. I mean, all that stuff is still new and, and, and eye-opening. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and what I said before about, you know, looking at him and, and thinking he was a, a strange captain, uh, you know, whilst that's true and I was comparing him to those uh, little Picards and Janeways, um, I, I'm, 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 you know, agree with you in that once you stop and think about it and, and what, you know, the situation is that they're facing, it does make perfect sense. In the same way that, you know, we've spoken about issues before, like the portrayal of the Vulcans, which was also criticised in Enterprise. But when you look at the reasons for that and the context, that can draw some sense from that as well. Definitely. Well, let's talk about a few of our favourite Archer moments. And these can come from anywhere in the series. What are do you have some favorite Archer moments uh, besides the shower scene? <laughs> well, I didn't have that uh, down, but now that you mention it, yeah. <laughs> um, for the purposes of comedic relief, I love the um, the decon chamber scene where he's rubbing Porthos. Yeah, just um, it's a. Uh, just just one of those uniquely enterprise moments not 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 so much about his character but just a, a little bit of humor in there i think porthos loved going on away missions because not only did he get to run around like he did in strange yeah. new world but then he gets to come back and get his back rubbed i mean what <laughs> dog wouldn't love that well the thing with um you know the the scenes that we have with with archer and porthos is it's it it shows us quite a bit about his character yeah, and he he gets quite passionate about Porthos uh, in one of the early episodes when they, they first go down to the planet and um, 
Now, Porthos is, is given the chance to run around and he's just so excited to be able to give his dog this opportunity and uh, it's that bright-eyed wonder that you mentioned before and then in particular then in uh, A Night in Sick Bay and he's just absolutely outraged at um, the attitude of, of this alien species who were trying to get in the way of uh, obviously that, that you know something had happened that had caused Porthos to get very sick but I, I remember him uh, screaming out at one point about Porthos having the right to a little fresh air. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it, a lot of the time... Um, I love the fact that he had a dog on the ship. That's that's yeah. another thing that helped us connect to it. You know, it's man's best friend. It's certainly one of those touches that, that showed us that the Enterprise world in space is quite different to the other series. So, yeah, I mean, the, the Porthos moments are cute and just show us a softer side of his character, so I liked that. I really liked just in Broken Bow, you know, the first time we see Archer when he comes in, just the way that he was standing up to the Vulcans, because I thought it established the character so well. And, you know, the fact that Archer has this animosity towards the Vulcans in the first place is really important to his character. It's really important to the growth of his character, too, because that, you know, they established something for him to overcome. Mm. And, you know, if you think about other series and other captains, um, now, you know, Cisco didn't want to be there in the first place. And he was still suffering, you know, it, because of the death of Jennifer. He had something to overcome. Picard, something to overcome? Not not that mm. I can really put my, my finger on from Encounter at Farpoint moving forward. Like, what did he have to overcome? Uh, same for Janeway. I mean, maybe the guilt of stranding her crew in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah, that, that's the thing I would have pointed to with Janeway. The lack of coffee, the availability of <laughs> coffee being tied, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, with Janeway, I mean, she felt guilty about, you know, stranding the crew. Sure. But here, this is something more, you know, this is, mm. Archer has this animosity towards the Vulcans. He's doing something where he still has the Vulcan's foot on him. And he's going to have to serve with the Vulcan first officer. And so he has, the character has to really, really grow. And so I, I thought that was a nice setup to help the yeah. character grow. And so I, I like those scenes in Broken Bow where he's just really, mm. what does he tell to Paul? You don't know how how much I'm restraining myself from knocking you on your ass. <laughs> and. <laughs> How many Starfleet captains have we ever seen say that to someone? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I, I also think that relationship with the Vulcans and with T'Pol is, is a nice analogy for um, building tolerance of those with difference, which um, is, is something they come up against a lot in their early uh, adventures in the series. Yeah, I also like how he is sort of a father figure to the crew. He he's not necessarily much older, but mm. if you take someone like Hoshi or Malcolm, he's I, I like the way he interacts with them, especially early on in the first season. You know, Hoshi has space sickness. You yeah, know, the, the stars passing her window bother her and such, and but he's kind of easy on her, and he's kind of leading her 
to... And the lack of confidence in her translating abilities and the pressure of right. all the expectations on her. And he's quite gentle with her. In that and he's respect. gentle with her and he helps her along, right? And with Malcolm too, mm-hmm. like I think about Minefield where they're, they're stuck mm-hmm. out there on the ship and Malcolm's leg is pinned down. Mm-hmm. And Malcolm has a surprising lack of confidence for mm-hmm. a, a Starfleet commander and someone from a military family and such. But Archer really... I think helps him along and he kind of coddles him a bit. And for, for Archer to be coming to terms with the realities of being out there in space and, and everything that's new and by, just he himself is having to learn to adjust to that. He really acts as a father figure. And so those mm. interactions are some of my favorite moments early on for sure. Well, the other thing that, that I regularly enjoy uh, with Archer is um, those moments where we see his moral struggles. We learn a lot about him through that. And the first one that um, that comes to mind is is really fight or flight, mm-hmm. where um, w- we really get to face his internal conflict about what it is to be human, um, which is something that, that we do see a few times throughout the show. And it, it really seems to me that Archer is, you know, that voice of humanity, not just out in space you know, as the captain of the first Warp 5 vessel, but in terms of what it really means to be human on a, a moral uh, level. And so I really enjoy seeing those episodes we have um I said fight or flight's one one of of my favourites for that, but also and we we see the uh, the comparison with the Vulcan kind of ideology there too uh, and distinguishing well you know the Vulcans never would have gone onto the ship in the first place and and once they did then they would have just skipped out and and so we really get to look at humanity and what makes us who we are through that interaction. But then again, in episodes like uh, Similitude where he, it could be argued that, that some of his, his choices were quite morally questionable, but um, perhaps in that episode coming from a good place. Um, but, but also that desperation, that, that yeah. um, the, the emotionalism. Yeah, Similitude is a great character episode for Archer and, and for that mm. struggle that you're talking about. Mm. And then the other the other standout episode in that respect is um, is damage, where once again that, that absolute desperation to to do what he sees as the right thing by the people that are important to him, whether it's his crew or the population of Earth, and the struggle to make quite questionable moral decisions to to save that to fight for that. Yeah. Yeah. All through the third season's indie arc, we see him struggle with ethical and moral decisions that Mm. I'm sure he thought he would never have to even think about as Mm. an explorer going out there on the uh, first Warp 5 ship. But but he does, and, and the stakes are so high. And that's a good transition into what we'll wrap up with here, which is how do we feel Archer turned out as a character over the course of the whole series? And at the beginning, you mentioned that you felt it was around third season 
you know, halfway through the series where Archer started to settle into being the captain as opposed to being mm. that, as I've described him, wide-eyed child, uh, kind of naive human out there at the beginning. The Zindi arc obviously changed him drastically. And yes. I've heard some people feel like the Zindi arc changed him too much and they made him angry and they made him uh, just maybe not, not a very likable person in the fourth season as a result of the Zindi arc. And I didn't really... I didn't really get that feeling, but he's obviously very angry in the third season and Mm -hmm. rightfully so after what's happened. And, and he understands that he has to succeed or humanity will be destroyed. And I think Scott Bakula does a great job of, of playing that in the third season there there are moments where i feel like it's a little over the top not only for archer but for a lot of the characters i feel like mm-hmm. they they push it a little bit too much at times maybe they're a little bit too angry a little bit too harsh but but it changes him for sure what did you think about the third season and and then archer onwards to the end of the series the the third season is really where Archer is forced to grow up. Yeah. I think he can, he, yeah, he, he, he's definitely still very bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in the, in the, uh, the first two seasons. And, um, and it's perhaps surprising to me that, that that lasted as long as it did. But he was angry in the third season. Um, but as, as you said, it's understandably, and I think the anger wasn't just about, what had happened on Earth with the Zindi attack. I think it was also a level of anger about uh, the way that he was now expected to adjust and change to the new demands of his role. We see when he comes back to Earth at the start of the fourth season and he's really grieving that that change that, that he's had to go through and the change in where Earth is now at what had originally been a peaceful mission of exploration had become much more desperate, more warlike, the way that he saw his job and, you know, the burden of that responsibility was weighing quite heavily on him and so I think that that anger was completely justified. As you've said, perhaps a little heavy-handed at times. I noticed that most of all with Trip, although Obviously, understandable, he'd lost his sister, but, yeah, I did a, a little bit much at times, but on the whole, quite reasonable given what they were going through. When we get to the fourth season um, and they kind of get back into the swing of things again, it, it feels to me like you know, he has fully matured at that point and he seems to take on a new role, almost, uh, uh, you know, not just that explorer, but starting to feel a little bit more comfortable with the diplomacy and you know, finding his feet a little bit more, a little bit more confidence. I, I really like the archer of the fourth season. Uh, he feels uh, like a man that, that I could have confidence in as a captain. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which again makes sense for the series because mm. you need that time to grow up. I mean, to think of any mm. of us in our professions. You know, we we don't start out being comfortable and and you know experts in in what we do. It it takes time, and 
And that seems natural. And adversity to me. as well. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you, it takes those things to to make you who you are when you've, you know, been doing whatever your profession is for many years. Then then you become seasoned. And and I, I never understood that fan. I, I think it was unfair of the fans to expect that a series like Enterprise set in the 22nd century, the first Warp 5 ship, it's a prequel, not only to TOS, but really a prequel to everything that we consider Star Trek, to think that, well, the captain's going to walk out on the bridge and he's going to be already the seasoned veteran of mm-hmm. space exploration. It just seemed unfair. And it, it this ties in to with what we've already talked about on the show with regard to the Vulcans and uh, people being upset that they were portrayed differently Mm. but everyone needs to grow. Everyone needs to have a starting point. Everyone needs to grow. I think Archer's growth through the series was the natural evolution of things, and it's the way it should be, and it actually helps Enterprise feel more real to me than the other series. And maybe that was the the concern that people had with the show and uh, the Vulcans and Archer is that it did feel a much more real and we've we'd spent so much time in the 24th century that 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 was quite shocking maybe quite shocking yeah Uh, jarring yeah i Mm. but i like it i mean i like the real feeling because Mm. i it would seem really unrealistic if you know a hundred years from now if everything was already feeling the way that Mm. it does in the 24th century series that because we're not going to get there. (laughs) We're not going to be like that 100 (laughs) years from now. I mean, the entire premise was was that we're doing things that we've never done before, Um, experiencing things for the very first time, and that includes Archer as well. Most definitely. Okay, well, we've run through Archer pretty quickly. We'll, of course, be revisiting Archer's character many times over the course of Warp 5 because... Being the captain, he's in the middle of everything. But it's been interesting to, especially for me, to get your impressions of Archer, Kate, because of the fact that you were more familiar with Picard and Janeway, and you didn't know Kirk. And because, like you said, for a lot of us, Kirk is kind of the measuring stick, and like all the other captains revolve around, how, how do they relate to Kirk, to how Kirk was in TOS? So this was interesting for me to hear your thoughts on it that way. Before we completely close out the show, Kate, we've had some feedback from listeners and we really appreciate that. And we want to thank everyone who's given feedback. On iTunes, we've had a couple of reviews. We've had one from our friend Jarek, who we talk to on Twitter all the time. And Jarek is really enjoying the show. He's really enjoyed the uh, the course of the show, you know, talking to Dave, talking to Brandon. The fact that we're not doing weekly episode reviews, but we're looking at the show in broad terms. And he says he's going to be tuning in every week. Gave us a five-star review, so we appreciate that. And uh, that's in the UK store. And Kate, we had another in the US iTunes store. Yes, we had a review from Weather Servo 9 who has commented that even after just the first two episodes, that they have really enjoyed the discussions uh, once again with Dave Rossi and Brandon Braga. And uh, it was extremely illuminating and 
they hope that we can get some more awesome guests on the show, which um, I would uh, especially like as well. So thank you for that review. Yeah, definitely. We will certainly be having more guests on the show. We're not going to have guests every week because we're going to just talk about various aspects of Enterprise, kind of the minutiae of the series. But periodically, definitely, we're going to have guests, again, like Dave, like Brennan on the show. And hopefully that'll be very interesting for everyone as well. So not guests every week, but we will have more guests coming up. Uh, we've also had some comments on the website, you know, Philip, who wrote and said that he loves the show, actually. Interesting point that Philip said. He said that he may be in the minority about not being a big fan of the Zindi plot. But actually, I think he's in the majority there. Because I think I think that's true. I think more people dislike that plot than like it. So I think, Philip, I think you're safe. I, I think you're in the majority <laughs> and not liking the Zindi plot. So don't worry right there. <laughs> and uh, and Jarek, who we already mentioned, also left a nice comment on the website. And And lastly, we have a comment from Sergeant Rooster, who writes simply, more Kate. So Kate, I think you've got a fan there. It does sound like it, doesn't it? Uh, and uh, never fear, uh, Sergeant Rooster. Um, I'm going to be here every week. <laughs> so there'll be plenty more Kate. <laughs> plenty more Kate. Very good. Well, Kate, let's tell everyone where to contact us if they would like to leave some comments for us. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to us by email. If you'd like to chat with us or other listeners or other members of the Trek FM crew, you can join in our forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can even sign in with your Twitter ID, your Facebook ID, your Google Plus ID. Very easy for you to access the forums. So join in the chats there, and if you'd like to send us a voicemail, you can easily do that from any page on the website. Just look along the right-hand side of any page. You'll see a tab that says Send Voicemail. Click that. A box will pop up, and you can use your webcam's microphone to record a message and upload it to us as an MP3 file. If you'd like to do like Weather Servo 9 and Jarek did and leave us a review in iTunes and a star rating, we would love that. It helps other Enterprise fans find the show in iTunes. And as far as social media goes, if you're on Facebook, you'll find us at facebook.com slash trekafilm. And you'll always find us tweeting about Star Trek and Enterprise on Twitter under username trekfm. Now, Kate, I know that Sergeant Rooster knows where to find you already, but what if other people would like to look you up? Where should they go? Well, the best place to find me through social media is um, on Twitter at kateisgreatokay. So please uh, send me a tweet if you'd like to talk about Enterprise or anything else for that matter. If you'd like me to follow you, just uh, send me a message and I'll follow you back. We should also remind people who maybe Warp 5 is the only Trek FM show they're listening to right now. Listen to this week's Ready Room. Kate and I are both on the Ready Room. That's my weekly show and Kate's guesting this week and we're talking about Enterprise. We talked about the episode Stigma and we were joined by Daniel Prue. And also by John Champion from Mission Log, the official Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. So check that out. That's at trek.fm slash TRR. You can find that in iTunes as well. Really good enterprise discussion we had there. Speaking of enterprise, if you'd like to find me elsewhere on the network, you can find me on that show every week where I'm joined by a wide range of guests to talk about all five live action Star Trek series as well as movies. 
You can also find me on The Orb with Matthew Rushing, where we talk about Deep Space Nine every week, and on Literary Treks, where we talk about Star Trek books and comics. And if you'd like to find me on Twitter, my username is C. Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere else in social media under that username as well. And if you follow me, send me a net reply. Say hello. I, uh, lo- I love to talk. That's what I use Twitter for is chatting. And I'd love to talk about Star Trek with you. And Kate, one more thing before we go. We would like to invite everyone to please support our sponsors for this week's show. First, there's Squarespace, the web's best hosting in CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, online store, or really anything else you can imagine. Create your own space today. I promise you're going to love it. Go to squarespace.com for your free 14-day trial and then use offer code TREK7 to save 10% on your lifetime purchase on your accounts. Also, please visit trekfan.org. This is an amazing chance to come together with fans to do more than just talk about Star Trek. You know, we, we all love to talk about Star Trek. That's why we do all these podcasts. But if we want to get to that Star Trek future, we need to do more. And at trekfan.org, you'll be collaborating to solve puzzles and complete mission objectives in real life. So turn your love for Star Trek into something that can help us all move toward that future we love. Support us and TrekFan by visiting trekfan.org. Solve that first puzzle to take the next step on your adventure. We also wanted to invite you to check out Andrew Allen's album Smooth Federation. If you like the jazz cover of Where My Heart Will Take Me here on Warp 5, you know, maybe you like it better than the version used on the show. You'll find that plus nine other jazz renditions of music from across Star Trek. So go pick up that album right now over on iTunes or on Amazon. It's really great stuff there by Andrew. And lastly, if you would personally like to support the network and our programming, visit trek.fm donate. We have eight new alien-themed badges as a thank you for your contribution that are perfect for your shirt, for your bag, or even your dress uniform. They're 44mm badges with original illustration by Tobuushi, who does most of the art that you see on our website. Those are at trek.fm donate, and your donations help us cover the costs of production, storage, and bandwidth needed to bring you this programming every week. Thanks for listening and join us again next week in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5.